Hello, I'm Annabelle Lee, and welcome back to another episode of the Talking Classical podcast. Hattie Butterworth and Rebecca Toll are professionally trained classical musicians. They also host a successful podcast called Things Musicians Don't Talk About, which is aimed at destigmatizing difficult conversations about aspects of being a classical musician and working in the music industry. I met Hattie and Rebecca to talk about their podcast, as well as their experiences of training at music college, developing transferable skills and other work assets alongside one's work as a classical musician and the future of the classical music industry. Could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourselves and your journey into music? Do you come from musical households yourselves? Yes, I would say my family was very like music, like they've been always very good listeners. So my family are, um, yeah, like they were always very like big listeners to classical music, more in like the choral music scene, I guess. And my brother was a chorister, so I just felt like I spent a lot of my younger life listening to oratorios and cathedrals, to be honest. And then, yeah, like I got really excited by the cello in secondary school and my parents were very supportive, but they were also very like clear that they didn't want it to come from them. They wanted it to come from me. So yeah, like I worked very hard as a teenager and kind of decided I wanted to be a performer. But after four years at the Royal College of Music, I guess that kind of dream like did fizzle away. It just sort of changed. And I realized actually it wasn't making me as happy as I expected it to, I guess. So that's kind of my musical journey. You go. I don't come from a musical family, so I played the trumpet. And my parents were quite interested in extracurricular activities for both me and my brother. So we did a lot of like tennis, trumpet lessons, gymnastics, lots of things. And then it became clear that we were quite good at, we both played trumpet actually. So then did like youth orchestra and all those things. And then I went to a specialist music school and then just kind of went with the flow to music college, but was never particularly like enamoured with music. It was just, I liked being good at something. And I was such a people pleaser that I was like, oh, I'm getting validation from this. So I must be doing something right. And that's pretty much how I've ended up here, but I like it more now. One of the things that you talk about on your podcast, Things Musicians Don't Talk About, is the experiences of students at music colleges or people who have recently graduated from the music colleges. And I know that both of you have talked rather openly about your experiences of conservatoire life. What do you think music colleges can do in order to ensure that their students have a positive and a healthy and enjoyable experience there? It's a really good question, I think. And it's one that we're thinking about so much yeah because it's funny it's I think it was it's not only the colleges but also professors because that's obviously like a big part of your time at college is your relationship with your tutor and I think much as I might have gone to college and my tutor saw okay she's not quite as good I guess or like she's not on the level of some of my other students instead of kind of finding a way for her to exist in the musical world my teacher I guess got frustrated that I wasn't able to perform on the level of some of our other students. So for the teachers often expect you to be at a higher level than you are when you come to the colleges. And maybe I've got to be honest with myself, like maybe a higher level than I would ever be able to get to. But that doesn't mean I couldn't 
have a music career in some capacity. So I think it's more about like not creating this hierarchy system of like those who are not as good at performing are kind of feeling really insecure and comparing themselves constantly and feeling like they don't deserve to be there. I think there can be more of like an integrative kind of understanding that actually there are many different ways to be a musician and you can be your own cellist, I guess. You can be a cellist who also has a side hustle in something or or perform. You know, there are lots of cellists performing who aren't the greatest. They wouldn't play the best Schumann concerto, but they can really get an audience alive And that's a really valid place to have in music. And I don't think that's encouraged enough for someone to explore their own voice and identity at college. Mm. Hattie's always so wise. (laughs) Never know how to follow her. Literally always. Literally always so wise. (laughs) I think for music college, yeah, kind of similar. There's this emphasis on professors and like having your main teacher or like I had a lot of teachers as a trumpet player. I had at one point seven teachers, but I always had more than one when I was at music college, whichever year I was in. And I think it's getting slightly better now, but there's been this emphasis on your teacher being the first port of call for everything when actually they're not qualified or paid enough or supported enough to be that all-encompassing role. So there's a better mental health support in music colleges nowadays. I think there could still be more. There could still be more signposting and more accept, like self-acceptance from the teachers that they can't be everything to you. But I also think particularly in the classical world, I don't know if it's the same in the jazz and com- commercial world, but I feel like I couldn't, I didn't have the space to fail when I was at music college because I was expected to be perfect from day one. Even though when you think about it, you're expected to be, what, grade eight when you get to music college. It's a huge leap from grade eight to first year with no real support. And I think if there was less of kind of, I don't want to say nepotistic, but like kind of hierarchical thing again, that there needs to be more space for you to fail in order to learn throughout music college rather than just feeling kind of trapped by your imperfections. I think that would have been really helpful for me. I think that's a really good point about like, yeah, we've always been taught to fear failure. And like, obviously immediately after something it's very that you feel you failed and it's very hard to kind of see the positive spin on it but there was never any encouragement that maybe something you failed at could end up being a real lesson for you so yeah I think that kind of sums up what they could what they could do I'm sure there are other things I'm sure there are and what about the careers aspect because a lot of the music colleges now have careers centers how do you think the college is doing on that front yeah I think There are obviously like, I don't know, I can only speak for the Royal College of Music because that's where I was. And in my last year, I applied for the Creative Careers Scheme. So I auditioned for this thing and and they kind of said, you know, we'll get you performances. But if they were paid, it was very little money. And I think it might have been like 50 quid for a lunchtime recital kind of thing. But I didn't end up doing it because of COVID. But I don't know, like, it just feels like as soon as you leave and that doesn't exist anymore... Are you just expected to continue playing recitals for free at lunchtime? I don't know. Like, I remember my mum being really angry with the college when I left because she was like, they haven't given you any help. Like, the transition, it just doesn't exist. Like, if you don't want to do a master's, 
she's like, your four years of undergrad should be enough for you to get a job. And it's not proving out to be that way. Like, all I was telling her was I need to do a master's in order to get into an orchestra or to get a better chance. So I think my mum was especially like, I was just kind of like oblivious because that's what I'd seen for so many years of, of like just people, if they left, they left to go to an orchestral job or to do something else or to teach or whatever. But she was really like, why, why is there not more guidance on what you can do now? And I think maybe that's because there's just nothing, there wasn't really anything to go to. I think particularly in music college, there's a very direct path or they try and direct you to audition for orchestral jobs, which are increasingly becoming sparser and sparser, as we've seen, yeah. There's still this attitude that teaching as a career is plan B, which is so insane because almost everybody I know teaches, but doesn't know how to get a good teaching job or can't teach well or doesn't like teaching because they've never been taught how to teach. So there's teaching. And also because we are freelancers and there aren't lots of jobs to go into, I feel like sometimes music colleges get away with being like, you just got to open your own doors, like just, you know, find your creative projects without actually giving you any guidance about funding applications or, uh, to be fair, there were some opportunities where we could put on our own concerts at music college, but it was always amidst orchestral excerpt exams and crazy deadlines and everything was geared towards... No, it was like, you know, if this gets in the way of your orchestral audition, that's terrible. So I think there needs to be also a wider spread of professors because all of my professors were orchestral musicians. There wasn't a single person that taught me that wasn't a... I mean, I, I appreciate I was on the classical course, but there wasn't a single non-classical teacher that I had. And I think I really regret not seeking that out for myself now, but it shouldn't have been my job as a first year, for instance, to be like, oh, all of my teachers are classical. I need to seek out more from my degree that already costs so much. And I know eventually it's going to be six years of education and £100,000 worth of debt. That shouldn't be the student's job. So I know that on your podcast that you talk to musicians who have parallel careers in other aspects alongside their work as musicians. Hattie, I just wondered, do you think that your work in writing and in journalism, do you see that as another aspect of your musicianship, the idea of bringing your creativity into your writing? And likewise, Rebecca, that your training in counselling You're able to use your experiences of people skills, interacting with other people as a musician into this direction. I really like that question, actually, because that means kind of the way you ask it starts that the core of me is this musician-ness, which I've had like a weird relationship with but it's definitely not going anywhere, you know, and I love that about myself. I love that about the gift I've been given to have this education and to play the cello. So that is, as you say, like that is such a foundation, I think. And I love that. I didn't always love that, but I now really love that. You know, I know it's there if I need it. And I know I will come back to it again and again. And also within journalism, often people don't have a performing background. And I think 
through the sort of time I've been there, it's definitely been something that people see as a positive thing. And I didn't think it would be. I thought it would be, you didn't do an English degree, you didn't do a journalism course. Like, what right have you? Like, I slightly felt that about it. But actually, what has turned out is to be the opposite. The people are relieved that I get it in some capacity. So, I mean, obviously it's opera, so I don't, I get that in a very different way. I don't really get it much, but I'm very interested. I understand what being a performer means. I understand how awful that is, like, sometimes, and how pressured it is. So I think, yeah, I'm interested to ask questions that maybe someone that wasn't a performer wouldn't ask. If, and at the end of an opera, when the orchestra stands up, I, like, every time recently, because I've been to quite a lot of operas recently, every time they've stood up, I've, like, wanted to cry because I'm, like... No one really knows what that's taken and they don't even get to see what's going on. And sometimes, like, the Sariaho opera that was is on here at the moment, I went to see that the other day and, like, they nailed that score, like, and it's so hard. They nailed every single note, as far as I could tell. And for them to, like, be that dedicated to the sound, where you respond to the musicians and not actually get to see them, respond to the singers, sorry. Like, I just feel a massive awe of what they do in the pit, for example. So I think, yeah, like from from knowing the struggle, it's definitely helpful to, I guess I want, I want to put more emphasis on how incredible pit musicians are. Like that's kind of something I want to do in the future. Um, but anyway, I'd love to hear about your counselling things as an extension of me. Yeah, I like the way that you asked the question because it's always usually asked as, uh, what you're doing as a distraction yeah, from your music yeah, or it's yeah. it's taking away from time that you yeah too. yeah I often hear like are you not playing anymore then and it's yeah. like I mean my course is one day a week I'm still playing yeah. <laughs> um and make yeah and I want my idea ideals career dream is to do freelancing trumpet playing and like a couple of days regular therapy on the side but yeah you're right that actually so much of counselling and therapy, the skills that you need are the same skills that you need to be a musician. They're the same, exactly the same skills. Basically, you need to be a music teacher, listening, getting to know the individual, kind of recognising what they need from you rather than your own needs. There's so much that's a crossover between the two, the, the world. I'm just thinking about like counselling and like often the best musicians are people that can respond in the moment and can give audiences like a full experience in the moment. And I think a good counsellor will also be able to react in the moment and to put aside, obviously they've got the training, but to be able to put that aside and actually just be with an individual in that space. Like we are space holders as musicians. And I think like you trans, you want to translate that also into words and holding space for people. Yeah, and there's a sense of you have to know how much of yourself to give to a performance and how much to hold back. And that's a big part of counselling and therapy is like how much of you as a person do you use to influence the, the environment, the relationship, and how much do you need to just take a step back? Even for your emotional well-being, you know, you have to protect yourself a lot. And I think you have to do a lot of work on protecting yourself as a musician. So they all feel very intertwined and yeah very much an extension of me and I find that the counselling and the therapy training is kind of giving me everything that I haven't felt like I've been getting from music particularly in the current climate of the arts I feel that I I love being a musician because I feel like I'm giving something to people but I don't feel that I'm doing that at the moment partly because there aren't as many there's not as much work or the climate is just a bit scary or I'm only playing in an orchestra to a half full auditorium in 
London. So it feels more like there's an immediate sense of transferring my help to people in the counselling environment, which then gives me more space to feel creative and feel the love for playing music again. Because I think I was pressuring myself so much to get a job in an orchestra so that I could support myself, so that I could do music. And it's like, actually, no, like I, I want to be creative. I want to find my passion and what I like about music. And doing audition after audition is actually destroying my relationship with the trumpet. So that's been actually kind of a lifesaver in that regard. How important do you think it is for musicians to develop transferable skills as well as working as a musician in the industry? I think it depends on you as a person. If you can get everything you need and want from a life in music, I think you're very lucky, but I think that's great for you. I work with so many people in orchestras that they just come to work. They're so cynical about the work that they're doing. They don't seem to love music, but they also don't seem to have any hobbies outside or any life. And they just seem kind of creative, like creatively stuck. And I think other skills and other hobbies and stuff allow you to reflect on yourself as a whole person. And I think that's so necessary, especially for the world that we're in nowadays. You can't survive by just blindly going on. I mean, it's hard enough to make money, let alone be happy, you know. So I think it's, for most people, entirely necessary. And I I do think, as I said earlier, there's this kind of idea that if you're not spending your time doing music, then what are you doing? You're wasting your time. But I think actually... In the same way that I was talking the other day about my, I used to play the harp and I used to do joint harp and trumpet at Guildhall for a little while. And although people kind of dismissed my joint studies as, well, you're not good on either of the instruments then, you're just kind of mediocre on both. Actually, they were both informing the other one. Yes, there's technique and whatever, but you as a musician is so much more than your technical abilities on an instrument. And if that's, you know, you get inspiration from fly fishing or <laughs> pottery or anything, like, why why not? I don't know, what do you think, Hattie? Um, I think that we would... I think life becomes very, like, monotone and, like, one colour... And your playing can also become quite one-dimensional if you don't have space, I guess. Like, even just time off. Like, I'm such an advocate for time off. (laughs) Because it's like, I just remember being in my last year of college and being so burnt out. And I didn't really respond to that. I just pushed through. I just remember feeling like I couldn't hear myself properly. Yeah, I just was like, I don't know. You just... And now I listen back and I feel... I hear how frustrated I was in my sound, you know, because it was so brash and harsh. And, like, I think if I could go back and say something to myself, it would be like, just breathe for a few weeks or something. I, like, this is going to help your final recycle. But I think we, we really want to control, don't we? Have a lot of superstition. We have a lot of kind of fear and control, with, especially in college, with leading up to the final exam. But you think that a week off is going to land you with a fail or something. But it could be the difference between a really exhausting experience and a really li- like life-giving experience. So I, yeah, I kind of, if I was to live my musical life again, like I just wish I could have more. It also comes down to like self-confidence and self-knowledge and like to trust in your, in your just musicianship in general. Like I'm, I'm often kind of thinking, how bad would it be if I only had 
five hours in total to prepare a recital? Like, what would that look like? You know, obviously, like, it wouldn't be my best playing, but how bad would it be? That's my other question. Like, how bad could it really be if I was only to play once a week for five weeks and then do a recital? Like, how much would I rely on what I've done before? How much would it sound horrific? I, I mean, maybe I should do it and find out, but my guess, my guess is that it wouldn't be as disastrous because I'd be letting myself off the hook. And I, I just think we need to let go of this intense control. But it's also, when you're in the bubble and your teacher's there or like looking over you, like it's so hard to be like removed from that. So great question though. Yeah. What I find really interesting about the podcast is that there's an irony because Hattie I know that you started the podcast during the lockdown and there still very much was this stigma about musicians talking about perhaps some of the more difficult aspects of their work and the industry but it appears that it seems like in the last maybe three years or so there has been a change and you know musicians classical musicians seem to be much more open about talking about their experiences Hattie can you tell us a little bit more about how this podcast came about oh thanks I mean you've been yeah championing for so many years like five years so exciting like it's also people like you who have been going for a lot longer like you've built up this kind of incredible repertoire of interviews and it's yeah no it's it's really cool though that we're like in the same realm but also doing different things and like speaking to different people and I guess it did just come down to me wanting to have conversations like I'd reflected through my time at college many times on different states of mind I was in different issues I was feeling in in the industry but I guess like the biggest overarching one was this like intense mental illness that I had throughout college and that just completely changed everything in my life even looking back to that time like it still feels very traumatic I guess like it, it wasn't me it was it was so disabling so to kind of emerge from that and then to have this lockdown it was almost like this can't get much worse you know the last four years have been an absolute joke I'm sick of feeling like I was sick of feeling so isolated and so ashamed and so I remember one day I just woke up and I was like I refuse to feel ashamed and actually like I know this might sound quite dramatic but since that day like I haven't actually felt shame for my mental illness since that time yeah and you you have to want to get better you have to intentionally want to make the change to get better. Yeah, yeah. It was that. It was like, I think this could be part of my healing. I think this could bring people together. I didn't know. I still find it incredible how many people feel the same way. Because often I'm like, I'll put something out there and I'll be like, maybe this is a bit selfish. Maybe this is just me. Maybe I'm putting this onto others. And actually, that's not how they feel. But so much of, of what we say is like copy and paste, copy and paste from so many different people's experiences. And I think just to have somebody saying that without fear of what it could mean for their career, like that was the other thing I think I did and I think you you say as well, is like it's tricky because we do kind of second guess ourselves and we think, oh, what if someone listens to this? And then 
when they're like trying to maybe think about hiring us for a job and then they they find out about this backstory and they don't like it or they're scared or whatever but I think our industry needs more vulnerability it needs to be honest about like the I try not to swear about the like messed upness of uh, messed upness of a lot of musicians lives and that having a negative dark experience is part of everybody's life you know whether that's grief whether that's illness what whatever that is and actually we don't have to hide that because hiding that can make people people struggle for a lot longer and their suffering feel a lot more intense so that was what I wanted to do I just wanted to provide what I hadn't had I wanted to have conversations I wanted just this whole like kind of glistening image of a classical music world break down it's not real <laughs> you know I wanted to show it's not real and that's what we've seen recently with like the funding cuts and stuff this idea of like classical music and opera being this elite world that actually it just isn't and if we had more vulnerability I think more people would realize how much more relatable it is mm. how do you feel about the future of the classical music industry are you hopeful are you maybe not as optimistic? Are you cautiously optimistic? I want to be optimistic about it, but I think in reality, I do feel pessimistic about it. I feel kind of hopeless and I feel like every step we take forward has two steps back. Even music education, like the hubs are all being reduced. It's like I thought we were going forward in music education as much as the arts cuts and everything have been like reversed or suspended in some way. It does feel like everything is a battle. I think there's lots of positives from COVID in that we all became a little bit more self-aware of us as people and as artists. But I think that then makes the hopelessness feel even more intense because you have no none of this kind of like obliviousness or kind of blind optimism so I really hope I'm wrong and I, I there are lots of things that can change and sometimes I feel like there's just too much to change and I, yeah I don't want to be pessimistic but I think that people don't realize how much as individuals we can just do little things whether it's you know using your job like your secure job in an orchestra to advocate for freelancers and their rights or if you are a donor to an opera house, for instance, you have quite a lot of power. Yeah, I mean, as, as we've seen with the example of the BBC Singers, you know, people were acting as a grassroots campaign, whether that was through social media, writing to you know, the local MP, signing a, the petition, word of mouth. If we make a small action, that can make a difference. You know, that sounds... No, it's true. It's true because, like, even the proms programme yeah, today, yeah, exactly. there they are. And it's like, they need... And where they should be. And, like, it's kind of the same with ENO. Like, it's been selling out recently because people are like, oh, oopsie, like, we do really care. But maybe the negligence... People haven't realised they were being negligent a lot of the time. So, uh, kind of going back to your question, though, like, I often feel at the moment, like, the positive experiences I have are very much one-to-one. And they're very much like on a day, kind of in the moment basis. Like I'll meet someone in the industry and it'll be like, what an incredible thing you're doing and what an amazing space to hold. And I still, I don't want to discard that if we cut, because you can make these big sweeping statements of like the industry is doomed. It's the terrible future, blah, blah, blah. But actually there are things going on that wouldn't have worked 10 years ago and that are working today. And I don't know, like, I don't want to sound like spiritual, too spiritual, but I find it hard to look into the future 
maybe that's because I find it too depressing. But like in terms of staying right now and what's going on right now, there are people rethinking the structure of their musician lives. That's I think that's a really positive thing. I don't think that's a negative thing because if they can feel, find greater joy outside of music, then I'd rather they did that. But at the same time, there are different things going on. There are pe- different people being celebrated, and people are. Le- I think people are less afraid to speak out. Actually, maybe this is just Twitter, but there are more artists like having an opinion and sticking to that opinion, and that hasn't always been the case. No. Yeah, and I think I definitely don't see our conversation slowing down. No. if that makes sense, and they're not they're not becoming more. Like I thought maybe whilst the work came back, people will be more cautious to speak. But that hasn't really happened. No. So that like that's positive, I think. But obviously I'm not a musician anymore. So well I am, but like you are. I am, but like I'm not actively it, trying to get a job in as a performer. So it's very easy for me to kind of like sit back and look from afar and be like, oh, it's all going really well if you want it to. But actually, like I know there are still a lot of people who are really struggling to get that first break foot in the door and that's that isn't fair and I shouldn't be saying oh just try something else just try and have something on side because like it's not that simple so it's complicated isn't it like Hattie Rebecca keep having those conversations it's been such a pleasure speaking to you on the podcast thank you so much for your time thanks so much for inviting us it's been great thank you so much for listening to this episode of the talking classical podcast I do hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or other major outlets where you get your podcasts. You can also follow the Talking Classical podcast on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube or the Talking Classical blog. If you have a moment, please would you leave a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts as this will help to increase visibility and get the podcast to more people. Many thanks for listening once again, and I hope that you'll be able to join me for another podcast very soon. Bye for now.